And now the creator of Ren and Stimpy, Bob Kemp. Rolls this hairs alone in pairs, rolls over your neighbor's dog. It's great for a snack, it fits on your back. It's log, log, log. It's log, it's log, it's big, it's heavy, it's wood. It's log, it's log, it's better than bad. It's good. Everyone wants a log, everyone loves a log. Diddle it, did it, from Blamo. There we go, that's the log song. And you're listening to Sci Fi Saturday Night. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye-bye Saturday night. You know, the one bad thing about uh, Hall's eucalyptus lozenges is that sometimes you almost inhale them, and then it's impossible to pretty much talk or breathe or do anything. It's kind of right where I was in the middle of that intro. Hey, and welcome to another edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Uh we're in episode 421 tonight. We're looking forward with great excitement, listening to somebody talk, because that's what we do. Sitting in tonight's talk cast in the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Gaming Console and Help Desk, our own back alley freeform fencing champion for the past three years, Kriana. We're waiting to see if anything else is going to melt down tonight, and, and we're hoping we can just get through this without something going weird. Please also welcome Cyborg University's preeminent reference librarian, the woman who enjoys playing waterproof ukuleles. It's Zombrarian. So, fun story. I clicked, thought I was unmuted, said something funny, and then looked, and I hadn't actually clicked. It, it, was, it was one of those phantom clicks? Is this what yeah. we're saying? Yeah. <laughs> Slightly off. I need new glasses, I guess. Okay, well, um, we we need to do something about that. Me, I'm just a guy who loves vintage TV, bad movies, good writing. They call me the Dome uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, and I'm sure as time goes on, we'll figure out what those might be. Um, tonight, we're going to talk to some guy, which is, as I said what we do. Um, and the guy we're going to talk to is a guy by the name of Adam Wilson. Uh, if you've never met Adam before, uh, I had never met Adam before uh, Plastic City Comic Con when uh, Cam uh, came up to the table, Cam, our, our booking monkey and great friend, and said, Don't, you gotta, you got to talk to this guy, Adam Wilson. And I said, Hi, Adam Wilson. Sit down and, and let's talk. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk with Adam Wilson. Adam, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you so much, Dome. How's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> you know how everybody's doing. You listen to the pre-show. Yeah, in, in any case, there, there, there are times when we all firmly believe that 
many times the pre-show is far more interesting than the actual show itself. Um, and that's played out on more than one occasion. Uh, Adam, uh, I met you for the first time, as I said, at, at Plastic City Comic Con. Um, an interesting place to meet people. You're either in the ice rink or, or you're in the, uh, the temperate zone. We were in the temperate zone this year, and it was uh, rather warm. And you came up, and it took me three or four times of saying, what is it you do? Before I began to understand, you were talking about something called CalmerCon. So um, for the listeners out there who haven't heard of this, but would be nice if they had and, and could be helpful if they did, let's talk a little bit about what your your organization Compassion is all about, and uh, actually, that's a good place to start. Okay, sounds great. So, uh, Compassion uh, is something that I started about three and a half years ago. Uh, just for you know, quick backstory: I have a son on the autism spectrum. Uh, he's 16 now, so he would have been you know 12 years old at this time, something like that. And what I was finding was we were having difficulty because he has sensory processing issues. We're having difficulty finding places that he enjoys comic books and toys and, you know, sci-fi and animated series, all all that kind of good, you know, nerdy, geeky stuff. Uh, So we were having trouble finding, you know, events. Like he he would see Comic-Con on YouTube and want to go to those types of events. And this was this was actually before the first Plastic City had happened, uh, and there have been a few other more you know smaller cons that have popped up around us that have been good for him. But at that time, that didn't exist yet. So my first thought was, you know, let's try to make spaces at other cons, and that wasn't really working out. People weren't really wanting to hear about that from me. They didn't want to help me out with that because I'm just a concerned parent at that time. So I started a nonprofit and decided to, to make a sensory-friendly Comic-Con so that kids and families like my son and our family would have some place to go to get a, you know, an authentic Comic-Con experience. How did you know at that point, or how did you think that you knew at that point, that there, there was going to be an overarching, is the word need, is the word desire, for something like this, because I mean, clearly, in your particular case, it was my child will be able to do something he really wants to do if we can make this little accommodation for him. Mm-hmm. But how did you know that it would it would become more than that? Well, to be honest, I didn't for sure. Uh, so I started to. I, I'm on a lot of different boards, and uh, boards aren't cool anymore, but a lot of Facebook groups and things of that nature with other parents. And so I, I, as part of my initial process, I started throwing questions out to people like, hey, are your kids into this stuff? What do they like? And we're also kind of very lucky to kind of live in this time, those of us who love this kind of stuff, where, you know, sci-fi is still going strong. You know, we've, we've had, you know, Star Wars and Star Trek come back around. You know, things like Doctor Who were popular again. And these Marvel movies are just kind of taking over the world. 
So it's not, you know, there's not a negative connotation to it anymore like there used to be when I was much younger. And so I was finding that these parents were going to all these things and watching all these things and joining them together with their kids, you know, and in a way that, you know, they, they normally had to do it at home because that way they could control the volume and the light levels and, and make, you know, those things as sensory, you know, friendly for their kids as possible when they needed it. And so I got a lot of that, a lot of response to that, that, yeah, we'd love to have something that we could do with our kids because there's not a lot of family events for people on the spectrum. So then you have to move from, we'd love to have something to what that yeah, something so, is actually going to be. It's, yes. Yeah. That was a, that was kind of the tricky part of it. Um, so what I did was, I, again, you know, I always had in the back of my mind that I really wanted to do these commerce spaces in other conventions. But when I wasn't getting any traction there, that's when I came to the idea to do the full-blown convention. Uh, but, in a, you know, in a much smaller venue, separate spaces, you know, so we could control volume and light levels and things like that. Uh, so I, how I started the process with that dome was I started taking the ideas that I had for this bigger event and broke them down into smaller things. So I took something like the first thing we did was like a star Wars day and we did some Jedi, you know, some lightsaber dueling and some force pushes where we pretend to push kids onto mats and they pretend to push us onto the mats. Um, and we had a green screen where they could fight Darth Vader with a lightsaber. And so just those, you know, simple three or four simple stations, but it allowed us to get an idea. And, and also we mostly had kids that weren't special needs because I wanted to see how everything worked independent of then trying to make it more sensory friendly. So we had, we'd have, you know, the kids that were what we call you know, neurotypical kids, kids that aren't, you know, on the autism spectrum. And we had them, just do it for the first two thirds of the event and go through the stations. And then for the, the neurodiverse kids, uh, kids of autism and anxiety and ADHD, we broke them down into smaller groups with a lot of hand over hand help from, from people there to kind of see how they could handle each of the things. And I mean, that's kind of how we got started. And then we did um, a superhero event and a few other different things before we figured out what was going to work best in a larger format. So it was working with a diversity of kids to find that kind of middle space that, where there could be an event which would work for almost everyone. Yeah, and, and there's nothing... In the event, so we, we encourage, you know, siblings to come and, you know, the parents bring the kids and we encourage the, the siblings can come to the events too, because this, it's all still fun. We just, you know, have it in a more controlled way where we have, like I said, we, we go in smaller groups. We have people um, that are trained to help us, you know, with the kids. And we have people that also from like a karate studio that I work with, to make sure that things are safe for everybody. And they're used to working. This, this group is great. They work also with um, 
they have a lot of special needs kids in their, you know, in their um, classes. So they have a lot of experience. And I went and talked to a few special needs, like educators, but mostly I spoke to like the support staff that works in, in any special needs classroom. They have paraprofessionals that come in and help and they do most of the boots on the ground, you know, work with the kids. So getting their perspective was really important, and, you know, as we were trying to figure out how to piece this all together. And so that's, that's kind of how we got to the idea of it. But then that, that's the start, okay? And, and as I was listening to you talk about that, from the beginning, I said to myself, it's one thing to do it in a controlled environment like you had originally set up. It's a whole different ball game in an actual convention where you don't have that kind of uh, sound control, lighting control, uh, sensory control that you do uh, where where it's it's your situation. Now I'll, I'll grant you that Plastic City, in terms of Comic Cons, is a one day event. It's a smaller event than most, but can still be incredibly incredibly overwhelming to the neurodiverse individual. So. What did you change? What did you do? What do you do differently in situations where you can't control the environment like that? Well, I mean, I guess we cheat because we find ways to control the environment. <laughs> I don't think it's really? cheating at all. In fact, I think it's it's an incredibly brilliant idea that you have. It's so, so what we did, the first one that we had was two years ago. And we held it in a space that was originally a middle school. So we had classrooms to use and hallways. We have areas that we can have control the number of people that are in there at a time. And the sound doesn't carry from one space to another. Now, even like you say, even like at, at Plastic City Con, which is in a, you know, an ice arena, it can get pretty loud and overwhelming. And yeah, absolutely. If, if, absolutely. You, if, you, if you have something that's really popular, like say you have, the, the favorite artist that's there uh, or somebody that's, you know, really popular that they've had professional wrestlers and things like that before those areas can get really congested with people in a small amount of space. So that's the kind of things we had to be mindful of. You know, we, we separate that space out instead of having one big hall, we have, you know, the, the biggest space that we have is for the star Wars and superhero stuff, the Jedi training, we do some Captain America shield training and uh, things of that nature. And then we use small, the other classrooms to separate out the other things we have. Um, we have a space, a building space. It's Lego blocks and, you know, tinker toys and some other things like that. And we also have some very big Lego blocks that we use. They're made out of cardboard. And, you know, so you don't necessarily have to have fine motor skills to be able to participate because that can be another you know, problem for um, for kids with needs is not quite having those fine motor skills yet. So we we have adaptive things for that sort of stuff. Uh, we also have an art room where we have you know we run art contests all day, and as they can color or they can freeform draw. Um, there's a whole bunch of you know there's there's a bunch of different things for them to access in there. Um, and we also have a room where 
we have a storyteller that comes in and kind of runs the kids through, again, in smaller groups, you know, how a story works. What's a protagonist? You know, wh- who, what do we want to happen here? They, they work through it together on how the action's going to go. And then they'll, you know, the, the people that are running the room will act it out and the kids will participate. So we've, I think we've really got a good depth of different types of things for different types of kids. And the last space that we have is the commerce space, which is secluded from everything else again, but it's, it's comfortable places to sit. We have like some stuffed animals and maybe a few of the activities in there, some puzzles and things like that, but things that are really quiet. And, but sometimes when people get, you know, and especially young people, when they get overwhelmed, they just need something to occupy their hands with and their minds with to kind of get out of that space. So, we can't just toss them in a room with beanbag chairs and say, go ahead, calm yourself down. It's, we have activities for them. We have people, again, some of our people who are trained with this kind of stuff um, to help kids to kind of be able to calm down and normalize so that they can get back to doing the fun stuff. Because the thing for me, it's about access. I don't want people to have to miss out on things that they would really enjoy because of their sensory issues. Now, when... Um when these kids have moved into this quieter, calmer space, how do you guys know what works best for them? How do you know what to do? How do you know where? I mean, I'd say it's a dumb question and I'm trying to figure out how to say it properly. And I don't know how. There's no dumb questions. I think what you're trying to get at is how do you know, like who needs to focus on what, um, who needs help, to settle down and who doesn't, who will just self-regulate if they're just left alone. And it's there's experience. I mean, we've been doing this for a while, uh, but also we, again, it's sort of a cheat, but it's a very smart one on our part. You know, these are family events. So their parents are there with them. At least one parent is with them generally. And they have, you know, they have the formula for that. They deal with their kid every day. They know what their triggers are and they can, you know, we can work with them and say, Hey, you know, Little John just needs five minutes over there by himself. Or Rachel might, it might help. Maybe we can encourage her to do the puzzle or some Lego or something like that. So it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's hard to come up with ideas, you know, that will work for families. But at the same time, it's just really nice to have the parents around at all times to be able to help their kids regulate. And we're certainly there to lend a hand as, as much or as little as we need to. So the parents are there as part of the role of uh, I don't e- I don't even know what to call it. Uh, they're they're there as part of that solution as well. Yeah, I mean they're still the parents, you know, the kids. But at the same time, they are they can go in and engage with what the kids are doing if they want to do Jedi, you know, lightsaber training beside their kid. They're certainly welcome to do that. And the wonderful thing is, it's something that. I don't, people don't think about it a lot, but it's, you know, it is, I think people do understand that being a needs parent can be really uh, taxing and difficult. And you, you know, you have to take on roles that you wouldn't normally have to take on. And just the, the happiness and the smiles from the parents to go to our events, because they're seeing their kids being very joyful. And a lot of times they're seeing their kids in a space where they're socializing with, with other people that enjoy the same things that they do. And that doesn't always happen. 
um, you know, being in these family can be really isolating to them. And I think it's, it's really nice that people can have that time together and they kind of, their shared experience there. And so I've, I've seen, you know, parents that have become friends because of it. I've seen kids that, you know, they never talk to another kid and they're just going on and on with each other about uh, anything, Pokemon Go or something, right? It's, it's, you know, that's kind of the beauty of the whole thing is that it's not just, the parents just aren't there to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They get to watch their kids being joyful. Well, and there, there's another part to this as well, and that is that the parent gets to bring part of what their passion is because they're there at the cons because they want to be there. And this gives them a chance to share with a, a neurodiverse child something that they really love as well. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I, it's also been, I've noticed, and I've encouraged this, and as has my team, that we've encouraged parents, you know, if their kids have a really good experience at the Comic-Con, um, it's a good gateway for them to try to maybe start with something like Plastic City, which is a little smaller and less intense than, you know, they're not going to jump into the pool at like a Boston Comic-Con or something like that, but start with a more local con and, you know, you can work. My, my son is okay at some of the bigger cons now, as long as we have, you know, he can let us know that, Hey, I need a break and things like that. But that was, if we hadn't kind of worked up to that, it would never be the case. And it's also part of why we wanted to give as authentic a con experience as possible, because we also have artists and vendors and, you know, things of that nature. We have a space for that there that emulates what a, what a traditional con looks like. And Mm -hmm. as part of that too, for the parents, you know, and, and like you say, a lot of the parents, their kids are, they enjoy the stuff that their parents do. So they get to enjoy that part of it. But last year we were able to add another element because we had more space, we, we moved to Becker College in Leicester, Mass., for the last Comic Con um, this this past year. And, and for those of you we, listening, that that's not a Comic Con; that's a Calmer Con, and I love that concept. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. I have a I have a just a slight spark of you know mediocrity every once in a while. And no, I no, no, no. That that that's <laughs> gifted. I like that a lot. Um, so what, what we also added, um, was, um, professionals, mental health professionals from different areas to come and also present their tables to, to offer services to the parents that they might not be accessing because again, a lot of times parents don't know what they can access because you're so busy, you're in the middle of it. Right. And I think that, that really added a lot to the convention last year as well. Just having, you know, professionals there that could talk to parents about some of the issues they were having. So, uh, yeah, it's just, and we also added a, a costume contest was my favorite thing that we did differently last year. We had a space to do a costume contest and the kids love that, you know, and, and we, they, um, they each won a prize and they each, we had some of our staff as they were watching them, you know, go up on the stage, 
and they were supposed they had to do poses and stuff. So I'd really had fun with it. And so each one of them got an award that kind of fit their performance. So, and the award for sassiest unicorn goes to, and so (laughs) because we're small, we're able to tailor things to the individuals that are there. So really, so that they have a really original, you know, special, you know, time there. And I think that's really important because also, you know, a lot of times special needs kids don't necessarily feel special. I mean, it's in, you know, it's, it's a different connotation, right? Sure. So I think it's really important for us to, um, you know, make sure that they have a really great time no matter what it is that we're doing, you know, first so, and foremost. So so the the reality is is that you do these calmer cons, um, and at this point you're doing them uh, hosted by uh, Becker College in Central Mass, and you also yep. have these these – Areas that conventions you've worked with conventions to put aside for you to work as well as you did at Plastic City, which makes incredible sense because that's the next step. Here's the scary step for me, and that is you're going to be at at uh, Rhode Island Comic Con this year, which is perhaps as central. Se- Sensory stimulating. Thank you. Stimulating as you can possibly get. The crowds are just jam packed and there's just so much going on everywhere. Uh, Have you you done a con of that size before? Yeah, we we actually were at Rhode Island last year. So, yeah, I'm, yep, I'm well aware. Uh, We got, we kind of got, I requested to do it and I was looking kind of eyeballing this year and they're like, well, we could probably use it, use you this year because they had, it didn't work as effectively. They had the room set aside the prior year. It's kind of like quiet spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't, it they didn't offer any of the things that we offer. You know, it was just regular, I mean, say regular con. People that volunteer to work the staff at cons are great. I mean, you have some of them in your organization that do that kind of stuff. Sure. And, they're phenomenal people, but they're not, they don't necessarily know how to deal with, you know, needs kids or people, it's not even necessarily needs kids, but a lot of people that they came in just, they have anxiety and they're overwhelmed and they're overstimulated. And so it, it considering we kind of were in over our head last year with it, we had about two weeks to plan to go there and they have two different spaces at different yes. ends of that con. Once one's down by the ice rink, the other one's way up in the conference center. Uh, I lost about 10 pounds running back and forth from the two spaces all weekend, but I, I probably needed to lose 20, so it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I have but no, a question, it, it, and yeah. you – oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, you touched on this a little bit with part of what you just said, but um, I understand that your focus is on the kids, but do you ever – get uh, neurodivergent or adults or adults with sensory issues who come? And do you have resources for them? Or are you more focused on kids for now? Because I know that having a kid's space and then adding adults into it can be fraught. So, mm-hmm. But I also know that there are a lot of adults who would benefit from something like this. So I was just wondering if you have adults yet. Yeah, actually at Rhode Island, 
and and what we're go- we're also going to run one at Granite State Comic Con this year, uh, coming up in a few weeks. Uh, they are built for everybody. Those spaces are, um, you know, we have a lot of. It was, it was mostly adults that used those spaces last year, um, as well. But we had there's a lot of at, at Rhode Island. Um, the Yogi Bo Beanbag Company provides comfortable beanbaggy type things to fill the room with. And so a lot of people just want to come in at a quiet space and sit. And that's fine. But, you know, there are, there are other people that do need, you know, really to kind of talk to somebody to help them to calm back down. And so that they can ultimately we want people to spend as little time as possible in those rooms. We'd like them to be spending as much time as they can out on the floor. Um, and that can be, you know, it, it, at a, something at the size of Rhode Island, that can be difficult. But we did have a really, um, we got a lot of really great feedback last year. Um, and I, I did have, you know, we, we also did have families that came into the spaces. Uh, we had one young woman, about 15 years old, with her parents there. And she was going to, she was, she came, they came in about 11 o'clock. And they had a, an appointment to, to prepaid to do a picture with uh, voice actress Tara Strong. And they, the girl was distraught because she was like, I can't last here three more hours. <laughs> you know, there's, there's just no way. Um, and myself and, and one of my staff you know, went over to, to speak with them. And, you know, I talked to her for a few minutes and, and I was like, look, I, I've known Tara for a couple of years. She's like super sweet. She's going to be really bummed if you don't get, you know, she doesn't get to meet you because you're so awesome. And I just kind of talked us through it. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I think I have something in my bag. And I, I had like a some My Little Pony thing or something, right? And I bring it over. I'm like, tell you what, I'm going to go talk to Tara. And you take this My Little Pony to your picture thing. And, I'm, and she'll sign it for you because she's really great. And she's going to be happy that you came to see her. And she snapped right out of it. And, you know, I suggested they go to a little, there's a, a quieter space kind of in the center on the lower level and get some food and kind of recharge and eat and, you know, and, and be okay for the, the appointment later. And so I did, I went up and talked to Tara and I'm like, this girl's going to come. And if you could like be extra cool, that'd be, you don't really have to ask people like that. Voice actors are great. They're so awesome with everybody, but she's like, Oh no. Okay. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be like extra, you know, well, I was really shy, you know, give her a lot of attention. And, um, and so I got, I got a handwritten letter from the parents like a few weeks after that. And like, I never get, you know, it's very rare to get snail mail that isn't, uh, you know, a bill of some kind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're really but, great to show me 50 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, but it was, it was, uh, you know, it was really, you know, it was a, just a really great feeling. Because even if that was the only girl, you know, in her family that I helped that day, it's worth three days of effort. And it was effort. Like, the one thing about that con is there's this, like, glass tunnel from one end of the con to get to the other. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm well aware of that one. Yeah. It's, it's that, like, that's it's like one of those, across. It's ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. It, it's like a, what a hamster enclosure, right? Those little tubes. It's exactly that. <laughs> like, packed at all times. But... You know, she got through that. We had a few other people that really were appreciative of what we were doing there. And the other people didn't have any problems. And so, 
it, you know, and, and we, we provide some other things too for us. So we, we always, of course, we have comics around. <laughs> so we're at Comic-Con, we got comics. Even if it's just somebody just wants to sit there and read a comic for 15 minutes that they've never read before and it's kind of cool, and it allows them to kind of just relax and be ready to just go hit, you know, hit the floor again. Like, we can't ask for anything more than that. That's, that's what we're there for. We're, we're trying to provide, you know, access to the larger con to not just special needs people, but also people that just get overwhelmed. And I, it happens to me. I, I got stuck in the middle of that Skyway once, and I was like, I might have a mini panic attack right here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's intense. But that doesn't mean that those people shouldn't have access to people like, you know, Tara Strong and... There was a Tony Danza, and there was just tons of great people there last year, and that there will be again this year. So, I'm honestly surprised you know, that not... hallway passes fire inspection. I can't imagine <laughs> what laws make that legal because it it shouldn't be. It's too small for the number of people who go through it. That's on that's an hourly fair. basis. Yeah. So yep. three and a half years ago, mm-hmm. this was an idea. How many conventions are you doing this year? Ooh, so counting Comic-Con, which I count because it's a lot of work, uh-huh. uh, I'm, doing five, I'm doing five conventions overall. Uh, but on top of that, I also support other needs organizations and go, like, run. We might have some cosplayers come to something, or we'll run Jedi Academy for an hour and a half or two hours at, but, you know, something else at a 5k or something like that. So five full blown cons by the end of this year. And then, you know, a handful of other things, six, seven, eight things, um, for this, for 2019 proper. And where, where do you, where do you want to see compassion in, in the next five years? Where's, what's your growth hope? Well, what, what I'd like to do, what, what are, we kind of have a short-term goal of doing 20 events in 2020. So if wow. we're doing 13, 14 things this year, that's add another half dozen to it. Um, and I'd like to add, you know, we're going to, we're doing two, two versions of KidsCon. We did one already this year. They're, they're doing another one in Portland. So we're going to be going up to do that. They're great folks that run that. Uh, check them out, everybody, KidsCon. Uh, New England, and we're also Rhode Island and Granite State, and then Comic Con. So what I'd like to do is add a couple of more bigger events to hold commerce spaces in in the next year. Um, you know that would do most of the work, and then you know as we get more well known, we're starting instead of me having to chase people down <laughs> on you know on their Facebook pages and email them endlessly. I'm starting to get it come the other way now. So people are contacting me to help out, which is uh, just a, it's a real nice change of pace, honestly, to be asked instead of having to kind of beg your way in to places. And I, I, think, I think, Oh, go ahead. Go on. I'm sorry. No, that's fair. Um, so I think probably the next step for us over you know, the focus after this coming year in 2020, um, I'm going to try to lay as much groundwork as I can to see if there's people in other parts of the country that want to run a Comic-Con. 
And what I would do is just come in with the recipe, help them get it started. You know, maybe wherever it is, go there to do initial touch, you know, and talking to them and helping them get a team together to run it. And then be there to help them run the first one. And then they're off. You know, they can run it from then on uh, if they so choose to do that. I'd really like to see the Comic-Con idea itself spread out and to go to more places. Um, as it is, we really, you know, would love to be able to service more people, you know, where we are. But at the same time, if it gets too big, it's not sensory friendly anymore. So we always have to be mindful of how do we manage that balance, right? So uh, one of the things we did this last year was we split it into two sessions so that we could service twice as many people. Worked great. You know, we had a morning session and an afternoon session. Hour break for everybody in the middle. And twice as many people get to use that space during the day. So it, we're always and your team that. gets a break as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they <laughs> they do, and they they are great. You know, my people are awesome. So, uh, you know, I, I might uh, ride them a little rough the day of, but uh, I I try to do my best not to do that. <laughs> I just Adam, you know, I, I I've got to be honest with you. Um, until it came to my attention what it was that you did, how you did it, and why you did it, I never even recognized that there might be a need for something like this, um, uh, to my own detriment. Um, what we've done, what you've done uh, with Compassion and the Calmer Spaces and, and, and Calmer Con is – opened up the doors a little bit wider uh, to, to disenfranchised groups that could really benefit from being a part of this, this kind of geek culture that, that, that has a, a place for them there. And, and I, I, am, I am so happy to have met you and so pleased at how well this is going for you, seriously. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Um, the the organization is calmpassion.org. We will have links to all of this for you. We will have links to Granite Con and Rhode Island Comic Con, where they will be. And you can send messages to Adam and his group off their website to ask them whatever questions you need uh, or, or want to ask them. Adam, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dom. I would just say quickly that um, the best way to really interact with me the quickest is to go to our Facebook page at um, facebook.com slash compassion, C-A-L-M, passion. Uh, if you message me there, I always have my messenger open on my phone. So I can get back to you as quickly as possible, and that'd be the best way to get a hold of me. And now, as promised, another segment from the Mad Scientist Cabinet of Curated Chimera. Afterwards, more stuff. We didn't do anything wrong, hardly. By Roger Kuykendall. I mean... It isn't like we swiped anything. We maybe borrowed a couple of things like, but 
Gee, we put everything back like we found it. Pretty near. Even like the compressor we got from Stinky Brinker that his old man wasn't using and I traded my outboard motor for, my old ma- My father made me trade back. But it was like Skinny said. You know Skinny. Skinny Thompson. He's the one you guys keep calling the boy genius. But shucks, he's no. Well, yeah. It's like Skinny said. We didn't need an outboard motor. And we did need a compressor. You've got to have a compressor on a spaceship. Everybody knows that. And that old compression chamber that old man, I mean, Mr. Fields, let us use, didn't have a compressor. Sure, he said we could use it. Anyway, he said we could play with it. And Skinny said we were going to make a spaceship out of it. And he said go ahead. Well, no, he didn't say it exactly like that. I mean, well, like he didn't take it serious, sort of. Anyway, it made a swell spaceship. It had four portals on it and an airlock and real bunk beds in it and lots of room for all that stuff Skinny put in there. But it didn't have a compressor. And that's why... What stuff? Oh, you know, the stuff that Skinny put in there. Like the radar he made out of a TV set and the anti-gravity and the atomic power plant he invented to run it all with. He's awful smart, Skinny is. But he's not like what you think of a genius. You know, he's not all the time using big words. And he doesn't look like a genius. I mean, we call him Skinny because he used to be skinny. But he isn't now. I mean, he's maybe small for his age. Anyway, he's smaller than me, and, and I'm the same age as he is. Of course, I'm big for my age, so that doesn't mean much, does it? Well, I guess Stinker Brinker started it. He's always writing Skinny about one thing or another, but Skinny never gets mad, and it's a good thing for Stinker, too. I saw Skinny clean up on a bunch of ninth graders. Well, a couple of them, anyway. They were saying... Well, I guess I won't tell you what they were saying. Anyway, Skinny used judo, I guess, because there wasn't much of a fight. Anyway, Stinker said something about how he was going to be a rocket pilot when he grew up, and I told him that Skinny had told me that there wouldn't be any rockets, and that anti-gravity would be the thing as soon as it was invented. So Stinker said it never would be invented, and I said it would so, and he said it would not, and I said, Well, if you're going to keep interrupting me, how can I... All right. Anyway, Skinny broke into the argument and said he could prove mathematically that anti-gravity was possible. And Stinky said, sure, he could. And Skinny said, sure, he could. And Stinky said, sure, he could. Like that. Honestly, is that any way to argue? I mean, it sounds like two people agreeing. Only Stinky keeps going, sure, like that, you know? And Stinky, what does he know about mathematics? He said to take remedial arithmetic ever since... No, I don't understand how anti-gravity works. Skinny told me, but it was something about Mesen flow and stuff like that that I didn't understand. The atomic power plant made more sense. Where did we get what uranium? Gee, no, we couldn't afford uranium. So Skinny invented a hydrogen fusion plant. Anyone can make hydrogen. You just take zinc and sulfuric acid and... Deuterium? You mean like heavy hydrogen? No. Skinny said it would probably work better. But like I said, we couldn't afford anything fancy. As it was, Skinny had to pay five or six dollars for that special square tubing in the anti-gravity. And the plastic space helmets we had cost us 98 cents each. And it cost a dollar and a half for that special tube that Skinny needed to make the TV set into a radar. You see, we didn't steal anything, really. 
It was mostly stuff that was just lying around. Like the TV set was up in my attic. And the old refrigerator that Skinny used the parts to make the atomic power plant out of from. And then a lot of stuff we already had. Like the skin diving suits we made into space suits. And the vacuum pump that Skinny had already. And the generator. Sure, we did a lot of skin diving. But that was last summer. That's how we knew about old man Brinker's compressor that Stinky said was his. And I traded my outboard motor for. And had to trade back. And that's how we knew about Mr. Field's old compression chamber. And all like that. The rocket? Well, it works on the same principle as the atomic power plant, only it doesn't work except in a vacuum, hardly. Of course, you don't need much of a rocket when you have anti-gravity. Everybody knows that. Well, anyway, that's how we built the spaceship, and believe me, it wasn't easy. I mean, with Stinky all the time bothering us and laughing at us, then I had to do a lot of lawn mowing to get money for the square tubing for the anti-gravity and the special tube for the radar and my space helmet. Stinky called the space helmets kid stuff. He was always saying things like, Say hello to the folks on Mars for me, and bring back a bottle of Canal Number 5. And I like that, you know? Of course, they did look like kid stuff, I guess. We bought them at the Five and Dime, and they were meant for kids. Of course, when Skinny got through with them, they worked fine. We tested them in the airlock of the compression chamber when we got the compressor in. They tested out pretty good for a half hour. Then we tried them on in there. Well, it wasn't a complete vacuum, just 27 inches of mercury, but that was okay for a test. So anyway, we got ready to take off. Sticky was there to watch, of course. He was saying things like, Farewell, oh brave pioneers, and stuff like that. I mean, it was enough to make you sick. He was standing there laughing and singing something like, Up in the air, junior birdmen. But when we closed the airlock door, we couldn't hear him. Skinny started up the atomic power plant, and we could see Stinky laughing fit to kill. It takes a couple of minutes for it to warm up, you know. So Stinky started throwing rocks to attract our attention, and Skinny was scared that he'd crack a portal or something, so he threw the switch, and we took off. Boy, you should have seen Stinky's face. I mean, you really should have seen it. One minute he was laughing, you know, and the next minute he looked like a goldfish. I guess he always did look like a goldfish, but I mean, even more like then. And he was getting smaller and smaller because we had taken off. We were gone pretty near six hours, and it's a good thing my mom made me take a lunch. Sure, I told her where we were going. Well, anyway, I told her we were maybe going to fly around the world in Skinny and my spaceship, or maybe go down to Carson's Pond, and she made me take a lunch and made me promise I wouldn't go swimming alone, and I sure didn't. But we did go around the world three or four times. I lost count. Anyway, that's when we saw the satellite on radar. So Skinny pulled the spaceship over to it, and we got out and looked at it. The spacesuits worked fine, too. Gosh, no, we didn't steal it or anything. Like Skinny said, it was just a menace to navigation, and the batteries were dead, and it wasn't working right anyway. So we tied it onto the spaceship and took it home. No, we had to tie it on top. It was too big to take inside with the antenna sticking out. Of course, we found out how to fold them later. Well, anyway, the next day the Russians started squawking about a capitalist plot, and someone had swiped their satellite... Gee, I mean, with all the satellites up there, who'd miss just one? So I got worried that they'd find out that we took it. Of course, I didn't need to worry because Stinky told them all right, just like a tattletale. So anyway, Skinny got the batteries recharged. We put it back. And then, when we landed, there were hundreds of people standing around, and Mr. Anderson from the State Department. I guess you know the rest. 
Except maybe Mr. Anderson started laughing when we told him, and he said it was the best joke on the Russians he ever heard. I guess it is when you think about it. I mean, the Russians complaining about somebody swiping their satellite, and then the State Department answering, a couple of kids borrowed it. But they put it back. One thing that bothers me, though, we didn't put it back exactly the way we found it. But I guess it doesn't matter. You see, when we put it back, we goofed a little. I mean, we put it back in the same orbit, more or less. But we got it going in the wrong direction. The End Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of GraniteCon, Keen Comic Con, Plastic City Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArtHouse.com. Be sure to visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really, really good gift book for the rapidly approaching St. Swithin's Day, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is now available on Audible. I'm not really sure where else you could possibly look for it. Our intro production is provided by Rob Watts. His amazing stuff can be found on robwattsonline.com. Check out the Watts sauce. Trust me on this one. Our outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their grooves are at lawrencemademecry.com. A big hello to JoJo and Celine. Many thanks to the cast who helped make this possible tonight from the Peabody Time Tunnel. Kriana and Zombrarian, thank you both very, very much for all you do. This is Dome saying Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. We'll talk soon, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. I keep getting these spam emails for weed control, but they're never what I expect them to be. Good night, everyone, unless it's daytime. Nurse. Wow.